All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Man, was that some phenomenal worship or what? Man, God is good. Amen. Give it up for what God's doing through our worship team. They are awesome. We are blessed. What would you say, Craig? Yeah, that is the way you do it. Yes, it is, sir. And I appreciate the feedback. I do actually like uh, back and forth, unless you get a little crazy. But I don't know what I'd expect. We're at the well. Oh, thank you, Kenzie. Thank you, brother. Give Kenzie a hand. He's always serving. All right, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's all stand to our feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared. The first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the table, uh, the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of reformation. You may be all, all be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I've got three points to press today out of this text, and my Hope and desire is that we can see some realities and some truths from the text and some realities and truths uh, about what the text teach us of the old covenant, of the tabernacle, the temple, the things that came before, some realities about the new covenant as it is contrasted with the old covenant and the things that Jesus Christ has made the new reality and then how that applies to us and how it should affect us in our daily lives, in our walks, in our understanding of how we now relate to God the Father, to God uh, Himself. And so what I want to do is I want to read, read through that again, not the whole thing, but I want to read verses 1 through 5 again. And I want to start to unpack that and to... Uh, break it down so that we can start to understand and grasp what exactly is God desiring for us to learn as we read this text. Before we do that, let's pray because this is a 
spiritual exercise. You see, I was in a Facebook discussion here the past few days, which my wife said I was doing too much of. And in that discussion, we were having a talk about and a conversation about whether or not the gifts continue today or whether the gifts have ceased. And I, I can't help but to think, and if you know me, I'm, I take the position what's called continuationism, which means that I believe the gifts continue today. Now, admittedly, I, am, I consider myself a careful continuationist, which means that I am uh, ready to test, uh, to be um, hesitant when gifts are manifest, and I think that's right. The Bible tells us to test every spirit, to not be naive, uh, to not be um, ready to accept every pro prophetic word or every tongue or every uh, word of wisdom, every teaching, whatever it might be, that we would test that according to the Scripture to see if it's applicable and if it is in line with the authoritative Word of God. The reason I tell you all this is that oftentimes my conversations with cessationists, those who believe that the gifts have ceased, oftentimes reveal, I think it's more of a misunderstanding of what I and many people mean when we say continuationism. And the reason I say that is, and why it's relevant for what we're looking at today and what we're doing here today is that in careful continuationism, we are admitting that the gifts are oftentimes monetized. They are hijacked by worldly people who desire fame, uh, desire money. We acknowledge that. I understand that. I get that, that there's a lot of uh, swindlers and, and scam, uh, scam artists. I get all of that. Uh, that's between them and God. And we should, when we see that, we should test that. And we should expose the deeds of darkness. That's fine. But we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I realize almost every time I talk to those who say that the spirit doesn't operate like that anymore. He doesn't give gifts like that anymore. They say that with their lips, but that's not how they operate. Because if you ask them, have you ever been riding down the road and you feel this urge to call someone and pray with them or to... Uh, stop and, and minister to someone on the side of the road who maybe has had a flat tire. And you say, well, well, you know, we should just do those types of things. And sometimes we see somebody with, you know, a trouble on the side of the road and, and we don't stop. Maybe we got somewhere to be. But then we sometimes, and I don't know, maybe it's just me. I don't think so in a crowd this big. And knowing some of you, a lot of you, that when there's sometimes, though, when you're riding down the road and you see someone on the side of the road, whether they or asking for help, or whether they're in trouble, or whether they're whatever, there's something in you that is urging you, compelling you. No, this time you can't ride by. You can't keep going. And so you stop if you're obedient. And, and it turns out that they didn't just need help with their tire, or they didn't just need a few dollars for food, but they needed the gospel. And the Lord opened those doors. Or maybe you called that friend that was pressed on your heart, and they said something to the degree of, I can't believe you just called me. I was, I literally just got praying, God, please send me help. And as soon as I said amen, the phone rang. And I say that to say that 
not, I'm not saying that God gives us new revelation. I don't know any Pentecostal that says that, and that's the major hang-up. No, I'm saying that God speaks to us through his word. Absolutely, amen. And every word that we hear from God is submissive to, it is inferior to the word of the living God. As a matter of fact, that's how you know if it's God speaking to you or some demonic presence speaking and whispering to you. We test the spirits. But that God still speaks to his people. Not just when you're reading the Bible. The Bible is God speaking to you to be sure. This is his revelation to his people. He is telling of himself and the redemption story here that you might know it and that you might glorify God in it. But even in the moments when he's specifically addressing your situations or leading you and guiding you to this place or to that place or to this thing and to that thing, there is God's spirit active and, and at work in you. And I say all that to say, that as we open up the scripture today, as we pursue after God today, please don't let this be a physical exercise where some guy who has thoroughly studied this text is teaching you factual information from a book. The Bible is true in every way. Amen. Anyone that is willing to put in the work to properly understand can break this down and show you its meaning and its historical context. That's great. But let it be the Holy Spirit that brings forth truth that absolutely pinpoints you in your time, in your situation, in your life right now. Understand that if it's not the Holy Spirit compelling me and giving me the insights into the text, then we're just reading information, words on a page. And if the Holy Spirit isn't compelling you in your spirit and in your being and in your soul, if he's not taking these truths and planting them within your heart, then we are doing nothing more than an academic exercise in here this morning. Amen? Amen. And so let us all be praying and seeking and asking, God, move within me today, not just from the words of a man, but from the words of God himself written to me written to me as we open up the text and as we unpack i want to ask that god would move in an amazing way this morning and take us to a place that we've never been before i don't know i don't know where you are and it doesn't really matter every person in here from the greatest to the least from the least to the greatest needs to take a step in their faith toward christ amen, amen. there's always one more step in our humility, in our growth, in our maturity, in our sanctification, because we are growing into the image of Christ, who is the eternal God, which means that we will go on, we will go on becoming like Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Isn't it beautiful? That's why the scriptures are never old. You can read the same text 50 times. And it does a work in you every single time if the Spirit's moving. Lord Jesus, we ask right now, God, that you would take over. Holy Spirit, come and give us understanding. Grant us knowledge. Grant us wisdom. Not so that we would be wiser. Not so that we would know more information. But that we might be that much closer to being like you. That we might be able to draw near to God through you, that we might be able to mortify the flesh through the power 
of the supernatural Holy Spirit that is working behind the scenes inside of us, in the secret places, carving, whittling, shaping, molding, transforming us into who he desires for us to be, into those who are conformed to the image of the Son, that we might glorify our Father in heaven, that we might be able to reflect him to a lost and dying world, that they might see in his glorious face redemption, salvation, newness of life, release from the bonds and chains of this wicked world, this wicked system, this present age, this time of corruption, and that they might be Christians, little Christ, trained, made new, transformed, and able to secure the lost, to bring into the kingdom those that God is desiring for them to reach. Empower us, make us new, transform us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Now, even the first covenant, Hebrews 9.1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. That word earthly there is going to be very important if you want to underline that. An earthly place. Now, some translations have worldly. I think earthly is the better translation. The earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table of and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. So he's describing for us an actual uh, tabernacle, an actual thing uh, that existed in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. It was a place where God dwelt, and he is giving us a little bit of insight into that tabernacle. He said, for a uh, tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar, altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. In other words, the author of Hebrews here is saying, look, there was, uh, even in the first uh, covenant, even in the first um, covenant that God had made with Israel, there was regulations. Even in the first, even, now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship. And what this tells me is, is that, uh, as I read it, it's saying that even there is pointing us to another reality. If I start off a sentence and I said, even, so if I say to you, hey, look, you have to work in order to eat. You have to uh, work and make money if you would like to have nice things. Uh, even, the, even my sons have to do chores in order to get time on the PlayStation. Even, what am I saying? If I say, even my children have to do this, what am I saying? I'm saying that, huh? I'm reinforcing that this one, the other one, if this one's like that, the other one is like that as well. We say, listen, you, you need to understand that 
both have regulations. Even the first one had regulations because he's already started to lay out for us the reality of the regulations of the new covenant, of the second covenant. And if I were you, I would be saying, hold on a second, regulations... We're going to get into that, and we're going to try to distinguish between the regulations of the new covenant and the regulations of the old covenant. Remember, at least for me, these covenants are two different covenants. Lots of people think that these are the same covenant under different administrations. I say, no, seems very obvious to me that these are two distinct covenants with many, many different characteristics and with different purposes. And so I think the first question here that I'm looking at, if I'm reading this, is now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and even earth and even and an earthly place of holiness. I'm saying, well, if the word even there, and it's pointing us to the fact that this one had regulations as well, then what were the regulations of the other? And I think we'll see that in just a minute, but I'll give you a hint. His name is Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's look now at the, second, uh, at the first covenant and let's talk about what he is pointing out here. And the first thing I want to point out, number one, as we read through this section, uh, verses 1 through 5, is that access apart from Christ is absolutely absurd. Write that down. Number one, <clears throat> access apart from Christ is absolutely absurd. The whole point of the first covenant, uh, the whole point of the old covenant, is to demonstrate, and we've talked about this time and time again, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but the whole point of the first covenant was to demonstrate to Israel, to anyone who was privy to the understanding and knowledge that had been set forth, is that you cannot get to God. You cannot make peace with God, not true peace. You cannot meet the requirements and the regulations set forth in order to get to God. You just cannot do it. It is impossible. Even when you think that you have done it, we realize that we have not done it because we have only kept the outward things even if we could possibly keep those. He says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. We see now he's distinguishing between the holy place and the most holy place and he's describing to us the different sections within the tabernacle that gives us insight to all of the regulations that was placed on Israel in order to simply what? Meet with God. Where was the presence of God? Anybody familiar with the tabernacle? Somebody tell me. Where was Huh? In the, in the most holy place. And even more specifically, where? The Ark of the Covenant symbolized the presence of God. There is where the presence of God dwelt. And so you see, the Ark of the Covenant was a box, and it was, had two poles, and they would carry it wherever they went. And it had these two cherubim, or these two big angels. The whole thing was plated in gold, which, which symbolized many things, but the purity. And it was plated with gold on the outside. It had a cover on it. It was carried, and you could not touch the Ark of the Covenant. You could only carry it by the poles. And it was so important, so 
uh, critical not to touch it. You remember what happened to the, the poor old fella who was trying to just, I mean, man, you know, if an atheist ever wanted to make God out to be just one tough cookie, he would go to that story. Does anybody remember the story? As they carried the Ark of the Covenant along, it started to t tumble, it started to tip, and my man reached out and said, oh, you know, let me help God out. And he just stabilized it, just stabilized it. Boom, bam, dead, right there, right there. God's like, don't touch me, boy. Now, I, don't, I think what we can learn from that, and I'm not going to go into that, but what we see from that is, is that not that God is evil. You see, this is what the atheist is never going to understand. He is going to point to that and the deaths of nations. He's going to point to all that, and he's going to say, you see how wicked God is in the Bible? I could never follow a God like that. But when we see people dying because they are not doing what God has called them to do, it should not make us think of any type of evil reality within the person of God or the character of God. No, it should point out his holiness, his purity. And that is, is that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And whenever God comes in contact with sin, with the, the, the sinful heart, with the sinful being, he is undone immediately. That's why no flesh will glory in his presence. No flesh will glory in his presence. No flesh will exist in his presence without a torturous, horrendous reality. And this is what this is teaching us. He's saying that, listen, not only was there regulations, but there was a procedure that made it harder for you to get to God. There was different sections. You couldn't just go into the holy, most holies. You couldn't go into the holy of holies, the most holy place. You, not just anyone could go in there. There was regulations. You had to meet specific requirements. And even if you met the requirements, you had to go through a certain process. You couldn't just, even if you were the high priest, you couldn't just go straight into the, to the most holy place, straight into the holy of holies. No. You had to go through the outer court, through the inner court. You had to follow the rituals. You had to go into the most, the, the, you had to go into the holy place. You had to offer up the incense. You had to do all of these things. Then, if, and only one day a year, which the text will make clear, then, if you had everything right and you had your blood, then you could go into the most holy place and hoped, you make that, hoped that you make it out. So it says here, it says, it is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I will point out one thing, and the text here is kind of vague. The golden altar of incense wasn't inside the most holy place, but it was a part of the most holy place, but it was right outside the most holy place, right outside the curtain. But it was a part because you would need to offer up prayers, you would need to light the incense, you would need to do what needed to be done in order to offer up your prayers to God that you might go into the most holy place. So just one clarification there. 
And then it says, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a gold urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, if the author of Hebrews doesn't have time to get in it, neither does the pastor at the well. So, so what I will say here, though, is that access apart from Christ is absolutely absurd. That's the big point here. He's saying that there are regulations, and they are deep, they are broad, and they are wide. They're specific. There is a specific way, and only specific people can come at specific times. And if you don't meet those regulations, then you're out. It can't be you. Ritualistic regulations as a means, you can write this down if you'd like. Ritualistic regulations as a means to access the Father only serve to thicken the wall of hostility. They sharpen the blades that cut us and those around us off from the presence of God. What I mean is, is that as we read and as we understand all of the regulations and as we read even this small section in Hebrews, if we have any understanding, and the, and the audience of Hebrews would have knew exactly what he was saying. They would have known just how difficult it was and how rare it was to go into the presence of God and then you went in with fear and trembling, and it was the only way that you went in. And you went in with blood because you dare not come before God without atoning blood. You cannot come before God without atoning blood. Which part? Oh, ritualistic regulations as a means to access the Father only serve to thicken the wall of hostility. Ritualistic regulations as a means to access the Father if you don't get it in here, you can get it out there because it's repeating. Only serve to thicken the wall of hostility. Now, if I'm going to actually have people taking notes, I'll put it up on the board next week. The last part of that is, is that they sharpen the blades that cut us, and I wrote this this way for a reason, they sharpen the blades that cut us and those around us off from the presence of God. Why do I say that? The reason I say that is this, is that if you have placed upon yourself Certain regulations, stipulations, and specifications that you must meet in order to please God, then you have thickened the wall between you and God. You have placed barriers between you and God that you must tasks, checklists, 
Can somebody please go turn that down? That's driving me crazy. You have placed between you and God hurdles, tests, and regulations that you must complete in order to make yourself worthy to be in the presence of God. Now, what I don't mean is that I'm telling you to do whatever you want to do. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. And anybody that knows me knows I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, is that we cannot place upon ourselves regulations and works that if we complete them, cause us to be worthy of time with God or relationship with God or intimacy with God. No, no. We have intimacy with God by way of the cross. And out of our relationship and intimacy with God that we have through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension that we have through Christ, out of that we naturally, rather supernaturally, live according to the gospel. And all the things that people oftentimes place as regulations and specifications upon their life to love God and to make themselves or cause themselves to be worthy of the love of God, they naturally flow out of us because we do love God and God loves us. I know it is hard to wrap our minds around oftentimes. And I know that I continue to say this, but it is so critical it is so and we can test ourselves we can examine ourselves like robert preached a magnificent sermon last week Magn it was the holy spirit leading that man last week and i saw it with my own eyes and i was praising the lord we can examine ourselves but what we don't mean by that and what he didn't mean by that is that we look at our checklist and see do we check these things off? Oh, we do check these things off. Now I can feel free to worship God because I have earned the right to worship God. No. No, no, no. We examine ourselves by this. Am I in love with God? Am I pursuing after God? Is my focus on God? Do I know Him? And you see, that was that line, and I put that on Facebook. That line he said when he said, if you can't, uh, you have to know God in order to show God. And that's right. You see, you don't show God in order to know God. You don't do what God is calling you to do in order to have a re relationship with Him. No, you have a relationship with Him in order to live how He is calling you to live. Your life in Christ flows out of your relationship with the Father. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But what I'm saying here is, is that if, if you place a lot of regulations, requirements, and specifications that you must meet in order to be ordered to worship the Father, it will only make it harder to worship the Father because there's nothing that you can do to earn access to the Father. No flesh will glory in His presence. And if you operate in the sense that you can then that's one more reason and one more thing that keeps you from experiencing God. It quenches the spirit. That's why Paul told the Galatians, he said, and you had this text too, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has, 
Who has demonized your mind? You having begun with the Spirit, are you now going to be perfected by works? No. We can't do that. You see, only the cross brings us to the Father. Only the cross. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 2 really quick. Ephesians 2, verses 11, I'm sorry, verses 13 through 22. I'm going to read those right quick, and then I'm going to point out a few things. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Say amen when you get there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He's speaking of Jew and Gentile. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, I could just preach right here for quite a minute. See, people think that Jesus abolished the law. Notice how he says that, his, that he, did, he, he broke down this wall in his flesh, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. We're going to see that in the Hebrews text too. What Jesus abolished, what he did away with, what is obsolete, what is gone, is the obligatory duty to be under the regulations of the written code in order to access the heavenly places. But the law is not gone. The law is not abolished. The written ordinances as means of access, that's abolished. But the law of God in its principal pure form is now written on our hearts and placed inside of us that we might have full access because we are doers of the law through Christ. The ritualistic aspects of old covenant, written code, obligatory law are now gone. Not because they were evil, not because they were bad, not because of anything except that Jesus Christ fulfilled them. Perfectly. And he takes that fulfillment and he grants it to us that when we would come before the Father, he would see a perfectly fulfilled Son of the living God in Christ. With the active, righteous obedience of Christ credited, debited now to our account as if we had fulfilled every jot and tittle that it might be fulfilled. I'm getting ahead of myself again. It's exciting. Listen to what he says. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. You see what he says? He says, you see, these regulations, these written regulations kept people away from God. It separated them from God. And not just the Gentiles. He's talking to Jews too. He says, he says listen, you Jews, was there any benefit to having the law? Yeah, lots of benefit. The, the commands and the pictures and the shadows and the types and, and everything was right there. It was, you, it was right there at your taking. You could benefit from that. But you're far off too because no flesh will glory in his presence. And you can't be perfect and righteous enough. You can't obey this law to the degree that you could have a relationship with God. No. And the Gentiles are far off too. They can't have a relationship with God because they don't draw near through the ways that God has called them to draw near. But now in Christ, this is why. And I'm going to chase a rabbit here for just for a second because of our cultural times. This is why you see all of this racial reconciliation, humanism. You see all of this uh, immigrant uh, issues and politics and, and all of this stuff about having to uh, be so accepting and, and, and all of this in order that we might establish what? In order that we might establish peace and harmony and community. Let me tell you something. That's all a lie straight from the pits of hell. There is no solution for racial disparity, for economic disparity, for nationalistic disparity, and for any other disunity, disparity, or the breakdown of community except for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Now, this, is, this is relevant here. Israel and the regulations of Israel, they were not just spiritual. They were physical. And that God had committed himself to one nation. And if you desired to draw near to God then you had to be a part of that nation. You had to look a certain way. You had to do things a certain way. Israel could not go into Palestine and say, okay, Palestinians, how you worship this idol, you can now worship the real God that way. Just make sure you acknowledge him. But in the gospel, it's not that we go get people and we make them like us. Follow track with me here now. The gospel is not that we go get people and force them to submit to our new regulations, traditions. I'm not talking about Bible truth. The Bible is true and everybody has to submit to that truth. What I'm telling you is the Old Covenant was nationalistic and it was specific culturally. There was a certain way that you had to dress and look and all these things. And this is what happened when we allow the Old Covenant to bleed over too much into the New Covenant. We have these regulations and traditions that are outward in appearance and we apply those as if we draw near to God through those things. And we're going into West Africa or China or 
wherever in Asia, and we oftentimes think that we have to go over there and teach them Baptist hymns lest they not be able to worship God. That's a good example. They're over there dancing, you know, and we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, I, whoa, hold up. This is not the Southern Baptist way. If you want to raise your hand, that's fine. No higher than this. But you see, that, that, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not bring people in to make them look like you and meet your regulations. The gospel is, is that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, invades that culture, redeems it, transforms it. And they now worship God the way that God is working in them to do it. Now... Is there testing that needs to be done by what they're doing? Absolutely. we got to test it according to the scriptures. But we don't test it according to our own man-made regulations and traditions. You can't place that on people. You're telling me I can't wear shorts in church? Show me that in the Bible. I, I'm going to get off of that because I didn't even mean to. i got to get on with it. But all I'm telling you is regulations... I say it again. Ritualistic regulations as a means to access the Father. In other words, doing things the way you think they should be done, and God will be pleased with you. Ritualistic regulations as a means to access the Father only serves to thicken the wall of hostility. You place on people a burden that God didn't even place onto them, and you place it on yourself. Don't do that. We're in Ephesians. He says, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. Oh, praise God. So then, listen to this, people of God, listen to this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see, I might have chores for my kids. You know, we had Asher and Ezekiel emptying the dishwasher last night. And we, man, hell's like, we need to make them do more stuff like this more often. We don't do a good job with that. And I'm like, hey, man, you know. But, but watch the difference. You see, those are my sons. They don't have to do the dishes in order to come in the house. That's where they live. Now, it might not be a bad idea because I'm not God, so I might kick them out. If, no, no, no. no. <laughs> you see, these, these are children. They're my kids. They're my sons. And if they, Ezekiel, I want you to write this down. Here's a good example. And I'm not paying you for this one. You could pay me for this one. If they were living according to the gospel, I wouldn't have to tell them to do the dishes and take out the trash. They would do it because of their great love for me and their mom. If I had a mic, I'd drop it right now. Boy. But you see, that is what it is, though. No longer are we trying to pay our way in. Man, that's good. Yeah, is, amen? amen. Man, you ain't got to pay your way in because you are in. Because of the one who paid the way for you. That's your adoption price. Yeah, she said, I got too loud. I'm excited. He needs to turn me down. It ain't my fault. 
Blame the Spirit. For though, for through, listen, for through Him, Christ, that's Christ. For through Christ, through Him, we both have access in one Spirit. You see how, now this is, this is, this is cross-cultural, invasive, uh, transforming, uniting. He says, and Jews are Jews and Gentile. I mean, polar opposites. Just and he says, now, you Jews and you Gentiles who can't even look at each other. Now, he says, Brother Jew, don't think just because you're a Jew that you're part of my family. <laughs> Not all Israel is Israel. Amen? And I say to you, Dear church member, don't think you're part of God's family just because your name is on some roll somewhere. Bloodlines, signed papers, church attendance, regulations, regulations. Good things, great things maybe, but they will not gain you access. And the moment you think they do, you're one step further. But this text says, Jew, Gentile, you're now one. Brothers. Do we have to get rid of our cultural differences? Nah. Matter of fact, brother Jew, you want to keep right on uh, celebrating festival days? Man, you go right ahead. Just make sure you don't think that it's, it's gaining you access to God because that's only in Jesus. And if you act like that, festival or that ritual if you act like that it gains you access then you go back to the old covenant you put the wall back up and the second section is now closed to you because you're back in the first section we're gonna get to that in just a second but he says now if you know that the, the way has been paved for christ and you want to do that in celebration of christ understanding that was a shadow and a type and you just want to you just want to praise lord and remember go right on ahead as a matter of fact if the gentile wants to come he can do it too but the jew says hold on gentiles can't do that yeah, they can now through Jesus because it's all been fulfilled. And Gentile, if you don't, if you like to eat pork, that was for the body. That was outward. That was an exercise that demonstrated, it implied, it indicated, it pointed. It was an imposed regulation until the time of Reformation. He says, look, your culture says you can eat pork. Go right on ahead. Eat pork. And the Jew says, he can't do that. He said, yes, he can. Because that uncleanliness does not come through taking anything into the mouth, into the body. But it's a matter of the heart. And that's been fulfilled. And now, as long as you are praising God and giving thanks to God, eat what you like. I ain't got time to get into all that. But you see how Jesus Christ is the meat of it. We're in Christ. And this is, this is why the gospel is the most universal, unifying thing that could possibly exist because it takes and redeems people in every culture. And you don't have to give up your cultural specifics in order to worship God. But God redeems them all. And now we're all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Black, white, we're all one in His sight. Amen? Amen. That's the only reconciliation that just crosses every border, every line, every, every nation, everything. It does it, does it all. 
one household of God, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of God. And that's what I want to get to is that we're talking about a tabernacle had regulations, won't let anybody in. And Jesus is over here talking about, yeah, but I'll make you the temple of God. Oh, man, I just ain't got time. Because here's the truth is that in the old covenant, you had to go through regulations to get to God. In the new covenant, God met all the regulations to come and get in you. Amen. What? What? You, what? In the old covenant, you had to do everything right to get to God, and it was still impossible. In the new covenant, God did everything right to get to you, and it was possible. And not only did he come... And meet with you, but he came inside of you. That's what we all should have felt like right there, sister. I don't understand it. I'm telling you, God in the new covenant through Christ lives inside of you. That should make us excited. It makes me excited. And this is the reality of the situation. Regulations can't do it. Regulations can't do it. As a matter of fact, makes it harder or impossible. Back to Hebrews 9. The second thing I want to show you is this. <clears throat> Performance propelled pursuit. Grab this down. Performance propelled pursuit. Always, I wrote mine in all caps, always fails to provide perfection and peace. We've talked about this a little bit, so I, I won't have to spend a lot of time on this, but you'll see it very, very clearly. Performance-propelled pursuit always fails to provide perfection and peace. Check out verse 6. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section. Remember, that's the holy place. Performing, now words are very important, so watch closely. Performing their ritual duties. But into the second only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. Okay. What is he saying here? He's saying performance-propelled pursuit always fails to provide perfection and peace. Because you and I will never be able to meet God's regulations and standards. 
we won't even, for those of us who operate according, and I would say all of us at moments in our lives operate on a works-based relationship with God. We just do that. We fall into that. I do it. You do it. And what I mean is, is that we get to this place where we feel like, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. God doesn't love me or I can't come now until I get things straightened up. We've talked about this before. I mean, how many of you have been there before? You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are there right now? I mean, it's tough. You know, we beat ourselves up, and we should feel conviction. I, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. But conviction should not be about making us do the right things because you're, that's your duty. You better do the right thing or God's not going to like you. No, conviction is this, the Holy Spirit saying, Daughter, you know this is not what I've taught you. This ain't who we are. Listen, come back home. Come back and sit down with me. Come back and walk with me. I got so much I want to show you. Why have you walked away from me, child? There's so much I have for you. It's better over here. I've paid the way. Don't. Don't go out there and subject yourself to the pains and the woes and the worry and the struggle and the strife of this world. Come home. Live here. There's joy and peace and strength and power. And even when the storms come and the, the rains fall and the floods rise and even when they pound on this house, I promise you, son, it ain't going to fall. Because it's built on the rock, the rock of Christ Jesus. Peace lives here. This house is bought and paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Don't go out there. You see, that, that's conviction. I mean, is the Holy Spirit really coming to saying, we had a job to do? You know how far off schedule you've put me? You get those reports on my desk by Monday? Or you won't have a job anymore. Is that, which one of the, how do you relate to God? Which one of those? Which one of them? Do you feel like you've got to hurry up and get these reports filled out unless you lose your job? You see the difference? Prodigal son was on his way home. I told the story many times. Writing out his letter. I just want to be a slave. I, I'll, I'll make sure that the pigs are fed. I'll make sure. I'll be the least of your servants. Just let me have a place. Somebody tell me, did he ever even get to read that letter? No. Nah. Because his father done undignified himself, jogging, running down the road. I, I imagine the son was like, here you go, here you go. It's through, it smacked that letter out of his hand as he went to give him a hope. Hey, man, somebody go kill a goat. My son is home. The fattest one you can find. Conviction. Conviction. If performance regulation 
if performing regu regulatory duties were imposed, then that indicates that they were placed in an, in an obligatory fashion. You see, it says, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. Then on down in verse 10 it says, But all of these things deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Remember the earthly tent. And he doesn't mean worldly. Some translations say worldly. It's, it's not as if the tent and the regulations and the old covenant realities were worldly or sinful. No, 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 no. They were just earthly. They were of this realm. In order, remember, they were heavenly copies. They were earthly copies of heavenly realities, pointing forward to what the heavenly reality would look to when heaven came down and met earth, which was when what? Jesus came down. And so these earthly copies of heavenly realities were not sinful. They were earthly. And, and what does it say? They deal only, only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed, placed on people without their consent, placed on people whether they liked it or not. They were imposed. And then the word right after that tells us something else. It says these regulations for the body were imposed until, until the time of reformation. What does the word until indicate to us? It's temporary. It would be that way for a time and the ending time would be indicated to us by what? The time of reformation. <clears throat> what did Christ do to the people when he came to inaugurate his kingdom, to, to complete, fulfill the old covenant, to, to bring to bear, to bring into reality the new covenant? He was reforming everything. Everything was transitioning <clears throat> to one covenant, to one reality, to one way we approach God, to another covenant, to another reality, to another way in which we approach God. One was a works-based performance regulatory practice by which we cleansed the body and we made earthly, shadowy typological indications of what Christ would do when he came. But now that Christ has come, he has fulfilled all of this and made it in its fullness a reality, not just that believers come and work for. No, no, no. That first section is done no, that that reality would be a reality inside of them. Never to be removed again. Which leads me to the third and last point. 
Uh, you guys can come on up if you want. Number three, reformation exists in the reality of the risen Redeemer. Reformation exists in the reality of the risen Redeemer. You see, it goes on to say, By this the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. He's saying that that there can only be a certain one once a year that can go in. And if this reality is there still, then you can't go in. You need to understand that. You can't go in. If the old covenant still stands, if the old covenant is still in practice, and you have the first section, you have the outer court, the inner court, the holy place, the most holy place, and the regulatory practices and duties are still imposed, and the until has not gotten here yet, then you need to understand that there is no access to God for you because you cannot meet those requirements. It's not possible. But if through Christ, the old covenant has been filled up full in all of its glory and all of its beauty and every jot and tittle has been perfectly done and he has now swallowed it all up into who he is and he takes all of that perfect reality in his own being in the God man having perfectly supplied the need for regulatory obedience for perfect righteousness, for perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that doesn't just cleanse the outward parts of man, but the inward parts of man. Doesn't just cleanse the body, but cleanses the conscience. If all of that is in Christ, and if Ephesians 2 is right, that he has from top to bottom ripped the curtain of hostility, which is the law which binds people, the regulatory duties imposed. If he has ripped that from top to bottom, then the beautiful reality is, is that in the Lord Jesus Christ, in your being unified with him, in your love for him, in your faith, he has granted to you all of those perfect realities. Now, for the believer, there is no outer court. There is no inner court. There is no holy place. There is no most holy place. There is just God all the time. Complete access. That's why, again, it says in Hebrews, let us draw near to the throne room of grace with confidence. You see what he's saying? He said, you step right on up into the most holy place anytime you want to. Wherever you are, in Christ, in Christ. You see, what does all this even mean? What does it all mean for a person, a believer in 2022, 2,000 years separated from the life of Christ and thousands of years separated from the old covenant and the tabernacle? What does this mean to me and you? What is, I mean, what... That's all, you know, it's cool stuff. I hope with all of my being that what I've preached is accurate according to the text this morning. But 
What does that mean for me and you? It means this. Listen, I'm talking to you today, weary sinner. I'm talking to you who have been beaten down. I'm talking to me who's tired. Weary, heavy laden burdens of life just seem to just pop up, don't they? Just all the time. My struggles, you know, temptations. Even the good things feel overwhelming. I want to do what's right, but I can't seem to find it in me. You know, oh, wicked man that I am, who's going to set me free? I, you know, I want to read more. I want to study more. I want to write more. I want to, I want to be better. I want to do more. And oftentimes, my flesh, the enemy, he's continually whispering in my ears, I'm not good enough to come. I'm not good enough to come. And so, just, just so ridiculous that I buy into it and I feel like I can't come because I'm not worthy and you know I, I, I stay away and I neglect to read the word sometimes and I, re, I neglect to pray because I feel like I just haven't earned the right to come into the pres, the holy place the most holy you know I mean can you relate to that I, sometimes I just feel like I have no business in here because I got all this stuff all this stuff and some of you have stuff that's more obvious than other people's stuff you know some of us hide our stuff really really well man but underneath underneath that really cool facade underneath that beautiful face underneath that nice house and that nice truck car underneath that those well-mannered kids make it just torn to pieces inside and you have been fulfilling regulations for years upon years upon years and at one point in your life you even felt really good about the regulatory duties that you're fulfilling well there's a season where man we just got it clicking we got it going on I'm checking the boxes I'm following the laws you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm good. But then, I start to realize, you know, I'm doing everything right, but I just don't have that peace. I see this guy struggling with this thing, or this girl who's, man, she's a mess. But goodness, I see her at church, where worships God. And I, I got this house, I got this job, I got this car, I got these kids, I got this money. I got no peace. How can this person look at them? How can they have peace? And, and you just, you're, you're tired. I mean, I don't know, who's, who's tired? You just, I mean, you run, you run. Let me say in Christ, we find a whole of our righteousness. Every bit of it. In Christ, we find our life and our breath. Life. We, we truly, even when we're nearly dead, the heart of Christ is just 
life and it can't be stopped. It can't be quenched. It can't be shut down. It can't be silenced. It's that life is there and nothing can stop it. You see, in Christ, we find our yes and our amen. You see, the whole world's trying to tell us no. And as a matter of fact, you are continually trying to tell yourself no. No, you are not good enough to go to God. You are not good enough to go to God. But in Christ, we find our yes and our amen. You see, we all, we admit, yes, I am not worthy. But, but Christ is. He is my righteousness. He is my strength. He is my forever he is my stronghold in him is life in him is perfection in him is purity in him is acceptance in him is forgiveness he is the resurrection and the life come all you who are weary and exhausted and heavy laden come all of you who have been so overwhelmed with meeting the expectations of an angry god that you forgot how good he is he is not waiting on your reports. He's run out to meet you. To say, welcome home, my child. Somebody go kill the fat calf. Who needs to come home this morning? Who needs to come home? Who needs to stop trying to work and earn daddy's love? There's nothing that you can offer him. Let's stand to our feet. Just come and enjoy him. And if you don't know him, then today is the day of salvation. And he has lived and died and rose again to cover all your sin and to wash you clean from all your unrighteousness. Come and do business with him. Please, church. Please, people, come. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good.